Hello, everybody. I am joined today by the boys, Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislin. I'm your host, Keegan Turnbow. To everyone out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to break down some winners and losers, talk about some favorite sports movies and announcers, and make some picks for this weekend's football games. Let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Crunch Time. We're going to open it up with talking some winners across the three of us, then flip it over to the losers. Tanner, what's your winner of the week? My, my winner for today is actually Mookie Betts. On Sunday, Reds rookie TJ Friedel stepped in for his second major league at bat, and it was against uh, Dodgers pitcher Tony Gonsolin when he actually hit a home run. This was his, his first major league hit, which of course was, was his first major league home run. Mookie Betts, who, who was playing right field, immediately singled out the fan and asked for the ball back. And the fan happily obliged, Mook took the ball and threw it to the Reds' dugout so TJ could have his memento of his first major league hit and home run. The next inning, when Mookie ran out to the outfield, he actually had a signed bat for the fan who threw him the ball back. And it was a, a really great moment on all ends, really, especially on Mookie facilitating getting this, this young player's key memento in his major league career. So it was really cool to see, and that's why I'm going with, with Mookie Betts as my winner. Sam, what was your winner? My winner was uh, actually J.J. Reck. He actually announced his retirement from the NBA after 15 years uh, yesterday on September 21st. A little bit of his career accolades. He played with six teams, averaged 12.8 points, 940 regular season game. He ranks 15th in all-time three-pointers with 1,950 he still is Duke's all-time lean score leader in three-pointers and free-throw accuracy. And he appeared in playoffs first 13 seasons. So it's a great career that has come to an end for J.J. Reddick. My winner for the week was Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was a big winner during the Monday night football game as the Packers got back on track against the Lions. Jones had four touchdowns on the day, three through the air and one on the ground. As much as it meant for Packers fans or Aaron Jones fancy football owners, it meant even more to Jones. He dedicated this performance to his father, Alvin, who died of COVID-19 complications in April. After his father's passing, Aaron Jones had a football pendant created, which had some of his father's ashes inside of it. Alvin hadn't missed a game in Lambeau in nine years. So this necklace was a way for his father to always be there. During one of Jones's celebrations, though, his pendant popped off of the necklace in the end zone. He commented on the lost and found search with ESPN later saying, he was really on my heart. I actually have a chain with a football that his ashes are in. I scored and it fell off in the end zone. So I'll go look for it, but I know he's happy. He'd be like, if you lose it anywhere, lose it in the end zone. Don't worry, though. The story ends well. Hours after the game at two in the morning, Packers head athletic trainer Brian Engel found the pendant in the end zone. That man working at 2 a.m. after a long day, that man needs a raise. So Brian Engel, Aaron Jones, Alvin Jones Sr., you three are my winners for the week. Transitioning over to our losers of the week, Tanner, I'm going to throw it back to you. What was your loser of this past week? My loser is going to be the San Diego Padres. Now, in the past, I've talked about you Darvish's struggles in the second half of the season since the crackdown on sticky stuff. I've talked about their collapse in the second half of the season. Um, more specifically, at the All-Star break, they were 53-40 and 40 and held that second wild card spot and were widely considered to be a World Series contender on the year. 
There are currently 76 and 74 and, and now five whole games out of that second wild card spot. But what really, uh, what really broke the camel's back for me was uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, the left side of the infield, the star-studded left side for the Padres, got in each other's face and were screaming at each other in the dugout. It was a, a pretty intense dust-up. Now, you, you have your shortstop, who many consider to be the face of baseball, and was recently signed to a, a 14-year, $340 million extension, fighting with your third baseman, who was signed a couple years back to a 10-year, $300 million contract. You have a combined 24 years and $740 million wrapped up between these two superstars, and they're fighting, and the chemistry doesn't seem to be there. Uh, they, they claim all is well, but uh, things are not well right now in San Diego between the collapse and, and the lack of chemistry. So, so this week, my big loser are the Padres. Sam? I'm going to throw it back to the hardwood or lack thereof with Ben Simmons and the 76ers organizations is recently reported that Ben Simmons will not be reporting to training camp and accepting all the hefty fines that come with it. He also mentioned that he intends to never play again for 76ers. Now the 76ers should get rid of him, but they are having a high asking price for him. Like nobody watched the NBA playoffs last year and Ben Simmons struggles. So for those reasons, Ben Simmons and the 76ers organization are my big losers. Very quickly, because the Ben Simmons situation is something that's been ongoing for the last several months, ever since the postseason was wrapping up. And Doc Rivers, head coach of the Sixers, when asked about Ben Simmons and whether he's a franchise point guard or a championship team point guard was the exact question he was asked. He said, I'm not so sure about that. If I'm Ben Simmons, I don't know if I want to go back to that. Would I have handled it the same way? I don't think so. But I want to ask you guys this question just off the cuff here. What do you think happens with the Ben Simmons situation? Does Ben Simmons get traded? And if so, where to? Yeah, I think he eventually gets traded. But I think he starts the season in a holdout, personally, just because the asking price is way too high. Not only... As Sam said, his his performance in the playoffs, Ben Simmons' stock is kind of at an all-time low as a player. And then he goes and demands a trade, which always, in sports history, always lowers the value because the team who currently holds the rights to that player now is forced to make a move. So all of those working together, his value is in the gutter, and the asking price is just too high. So I don't think they, they can find something they like until – they reach the season and Ben Simmons holds out in which they, they realize that they need to lower that price. Sam, do you have a favorite team that Ben Simmons might go to? That's hard. Like, I think he is a better player than he has shown. So I think anybody would be a good fit. Honestly, yeah. it's just this situation is affecting his uh, stock for sure. So yeah. it'll be interesting. Definitely. I think the best fit for Simmons would likely be a place like Golden State where he could play a Draymond Green role. But it's certainly an interesting situation that when future news breaks on where he may be going as this situation develops, you'll definitely catch us talking about it more here on Crunch Time. Switching over to my loser of the week, I'm going to be talking about the injury bug. The injury bug has been rampant across the NFL, and as of Wednesday morning, it has officially gotten to a Tiger Valoa. The Dolphins will be without Tua for at least this week against the Raiders after Tiger Valoa was diagnosed with fractured ribs. 
with the Dolphins at one and one, losing Tua for an undisclosed period of time, going against the red hot Raiders. That's a tough situation for any team to deal with. As someone that wants to stay pace with the Bills and the Patriots in your division, losing your franchise QB, that's a recipe for disaster for the Dolphins. On to the next segment of the day. We're going to have Gimme Five. It's going to look a little different today as we're going to talk about two different categories here. We're going to talk about our top favorite sports movies as well as our top five sports announcers or duos. Let us know what your favorite movies are and what your favorite announcers are. Tweet at us at crunchtime underscore pod and let us know what you guys think about our rankings. Sam, we're going to start off with you. What are your top five favorite sports movies? So I actually have a honorable mention at six with Glory Road. Number five, I have Blindside. Four, underrated movie, in my opinion, Invincible. Three, Miracle. Two, Coach Carter. And number one, that takes a cake. Remember the Titans. Okay, Tanner, what do you have? Some that were, were certainly in debate but got left out are Hoosiers and Moneyball. They just outside on the outside looking in. At number five, I have Miracle. At number four, I have Remember the Titans. At number three, I have 42. At number two, I have Glory Road. And my number one sports movie is The Blind Side. So I have The Blind Side as my honorable mention. Going into my top five, at five, I have Rocky. At four, I have The Karate Kid, specifically the 1984 edition. Number three, I have Hoosiers. Number two, I have Remember the Titans. And at number one, I have Moneyball. The reason I have Moneyball at number one, it's specifically one of my dad's favorite movies of all time as well. And so growing up, whenever it would come on the TV, it was immediately a great time to sit down with him just for a period of time, enjoy a nice movie. Switching over to our top five announcers or duos. Sam, what's your list look like for this one? So for uh, honorable mention, I actually have Doris Burke just because of what she's done for females in the athletic realm. Uh, Five, gotta go with my guys, Dave Pash and Bill Walton, classic comedy duo, late night Pac-12 basketball. Five, Jay Billis. Three, Chris Fowler. Two, Tony Romo. And number one, I have Mike Breen. Tanner, what do you have on this list? Real quick, I, I just one of my favorite moments in in college basketball coverage is when Bill Walton predicted his Final Four to be five Pac-12. Teams. <laughs> that is just absolutely gold. But uh, I also have an honorable mention. This is actually a trio. It is Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez, and those three are the regional coverage for SNY for the New York Mets. Um, as being a Mets fan, I've watched pretty much every Mets game, and you really have to be uh, good at your job to, to garner interest when a team season is usually done by June or July. Um, but uh, The Athletic always does a, a power rankings of the, the MLB regional coverages, and SNY and the Mets usually come in at number one every year. So uh, I'm giving a mention to, to that trio. But number five, got to have a hot take in a podcast episode, right? Number five, I have Joe Buck. Yes, I like Joe Buck. I think, uh, I think he does a nice – he does an okay job in football, but I, I do like him, like him on the baseball side as well. When I hear his voice, I think big game. I think playoffs. I think, um, I think the NFL game of the week. 
So number five, I got Joe Buck. Number four, I have the duo of Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet. Again, I think big game. I think Saturday night primetime. I think game day. I think just big college football stakes. Number three, I actually have Jim Nance. We t- Sam talked a little bit about Tony Romo. I do think Tony Romo uh, is a real nice addition, but uh, Nance on the play-by-play, again, big game on CBS, big game in March Madness, the Masters. I think Jim Nance, he slides in at number three. Number two, I have Mike Breen. Yes, we talked a little bit about him before, doing big NBA games on ESPN, also helps being a Knicks fan. He, he calls most Knicks games too. So at number two, I got, I got Mike Breen. And number one, my favorite sports announcer is Gus Johnson. Nobody matches his energy. College football. He recently went back to the NFL. And he, what a perfect game for him to call in the Vikings Cardinals with, with big plays everywhere. No one matches his excitement. No one matches his energy. Gus Johnson is my number one. When it comes to primetime games, no matter what the sport is, I feel like we're so lucky to have some of these talents to watch the game alongside with us. Great voices talking about great moments as it happens. My top five, starting at five, I have the Jim Nance and Tony Romo duo. I like the addition of Tony Romo, but Jim Nance in of himself, very iconic. At four, I have Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet. I really like that duo and especially liked listening to it during the Cyhawk game just a few weeks ago. And number three, I have Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Now here's a guy, as Chris Collinsworth loves to say, it's just such an iconic duo whenever you get to a Sunday night football game. It's, it's typically one of the best games of the week. These two, they do it right. How could you not love the Chris Collinsworth slide in? At number two, I have Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. I could not agree more with you, Tanner. Gus Johnson is one of the best voices in all of sports. And I also like the addition of Joel Klatt on some analysis. At number one, bang, give me Mike Breen. There have been so many great moments with Breen on the call in the NBA and basketball as a whole. For those reasons, that's my list. We are lucky to have these guys talking about sports. Speaking of Mike Breen, I think a few moments will, will give me goosebumps like this this past year with, with the Knicks back in the playoffs. First, first playoff game in, in MSG since 2013, and Mike Breen was on the call. It just adds to his resume of legendary calls. So We're going to go ahead and transition to our last segment on the show, and that would be Pick'ems. Following last week's picks, we are all tied at 9-5. and five. The first game of the week we're going to talk about Top 20 matchup between Notre Dame, who's ranked 12, and Wisconsin, who's ranked 18. This game is actually going to be played in Soldier Field in Chicago. The Badgers are favored by six and a half. Boys, what do you have for this game? Yeah, so honestly, neither teams have been great to me. Um, Notre Dame beat FSU by three, Toledo by three, Purdue by 14. And then Wisconsin lost to Penn State by six, beat Eastern Michigan by 27, looking offensively very stagnant. So I'm going to go with the Fighting Irish in this one behind some uh, good play of Jack Cohn. Dana? If you like points, don't watch this game. <laughs> Their points are going to be at a premium. We have two good defenses uh, that have played well throughout the year, and, and offense seem to have struggled. With that, I am also going with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. 
I just think they're a better all-around team. And I'm looking for Jack Cohn to get his revenge against Wisconsin, who he played for a couple years ago before transferring. So, so I'm rolling with the Irish. This very much felt like a flip of a coin to me here. For all the reasons you guys have already mentioned, with the fact that this game is not going to feature a lot of scoring, at least that's how it looks on paper. We could be wrong. I'm going to go with the team that I think has the better defense, and that's going to be Wisconsin. Currently, with the Badgers being favored by six and a half, I would take Notre Dame with the spread. But in terms of straight up who I think is going to win, I think the Wisconsin defense is going to take them to the finish line. Switching over to the next game, we have ranked seven Texas A&M coming into AT&T Stadium in Arlington to take on Arkansas. They've previously been on the show. Tanner and I were very wrong about what they would do against Texas. We already made our apologies. Now let's make some new picks. Tanner, who do you have in Texas A&M in Arkansas? I tell you what, everybody needs to learn from their mistakes. And I certainly have, and I am not going against Arkansas again. They sure proved me wrong. But when you actually look at the teams, Texas A&M has not really been impressive at all this year. And Haynes King, their starting quarterback, is now out with an injury. It's in AT&T Stadium. Jerry Jones is an Arkansas alum. They're certainly going to want to win in his stadium. I'm going with Arkansas. As I said before, you got to learn from your mistakes. Let's throw it to the Arkansas native. Sam Godsey, who are you taking? So speaking with multiple Arkansas fans this week, they treat this game like the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, if they beat AM, it's a successful season. The Aggies have won nine straight games against Arkansas. But Arkansas is the eight is ranked eighth in rushing yards per game with 282.3, third in pass defense, ninth in rushing defense, and third defense overall in the SEC. With that being said, the Aggies have an inexperienced quarterback in Zach Cazalda. I believe it's going to be a low scoring game, but I'm going with a. <laughs> I find it interesting that Arkansas is the home team here and the game's being played in Texas. If I'm Arkansas, I'm not too happy about the fact that this counts as one of my home games. With all that being said, for some of the reasons you guys have already listed, namely the quarterback play from Texas A&M, as well as what Arkansas has been able to prove with their defense, I am also going with Woo Pig. Let's go, Arkansas. Prove me right. I'm going to try and ride the train in the correct direction this week. Switching over to the NFL, we have the Buccaneers and the Rams. The Buccaneers are favored by a point, but the game's in L.A. Sam, who are you taking on this one? Yeah, I actually have the Rams on this one. Uh, Matthew Stafford has been looking great. I mean, the, we've talked about their defense in previous episodes, and I think they're going to give Tom Brady some trouble, and I got the Rams taking this one. Boy, this, this could be... The game of the year in the NFL, really, especially in the NFC. You obviously got the, the key matchup of the GOAT, Tom Brady versus that stout Rams D. But don't forget about the Buccaneers D. It can get overshadowed in a matchup like this. And I don't know if there's anybody better at creating turnovers than the Buccaneers D. With that being said, I'm rolling with the GOAT. Tom Brady, I think he'll be able to limit turnovers while Matt Stafford makes a key turnover late in the game. Buccaneers win by a field goal. This game could very well literally be a coin flip when the spread's only one point. Vegas even thinks that it could go either way. My key matchup in this is going to be how exactly 
does that Buccaneers defense play? Because both offenses and the Rams and the Buccaneers seem to be very potent. But what exactly is that Buccaneers defense going to do? We know what the Rams defense are. They're one of the best in the league. The Buccaneers defense coming into week one allowed Dallas to hang in the game much longer than anyone thought. It took Tom Brady heroics to put the Buccaneers over the top. And even though the Buccaneers defense got into the end zone a few times against the Falcons, they still allowed about 25 points, if I recall correctly, against the Falcons last week. So coming on against a elite offense in the Rams, a great quarterback in Matthew Stafford, how is that defense going to play? I predict that they bring their A game. I'm going to take the Buccaneers on the road. Next, we have the Seahawks and the Vikings. After two heartbreaking losses, the Vikings are at home trying to get a win. The Seahawks dropped a very close game, one that they should have won against the Titans. The Seahawks are favored by two going into Minnesota. Tanner, the Vikings fan, who do you have in this one? You know what? I woke up this morning and thought, why not be an optimist? I tell you, for two gut-wrenching losses to start the season, about as, about as brutal as they can come and demoralizing as they can come. The fact of the matter is they, they played well against the Cardinals. They finally got the run game going. Uh, that was non-existent against the Bengals with 131 yards from Dalvin and 177 total on the ground. And it's, it's the home opener in Minnesota. Haven't had a home game yet. Fans are certainly going to be loud after, after what they've gone through in the first two weeks. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a tough atmosphere for Seattle. Minnesota played well against, against Arizona. I think they can build on that, and I'm going with the Vikings. Sam, who do you have here? Unfortunately for Viking fans, including Tanner, I think the heartbreak continues uh, behind some great play by Russell Wilson in that offense. So I'm taking the Seahawks. Unfortunately for Vikings fans, I tend to agree. Coming into this game, the Vikings seem to be able to go toe to toe with one of the best, one of the hottest teams in the NFL and the Cardinals. The Seahawks losing a game they really shouldn't have are going to have something to prove coming into this. I think this game is close. I think the Vikings have a chance, but I'm also going to go with the better quarterback. I'm going to go with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I tell you what, though, as a uh, Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett fantasy owner, if that if the uh, if Seattle scores a lot of points, that would be okay too. I think that is definitely something you need to watch out for here. I think we're going to have a lot of scoring in this one, just like the Vikings Cardinals games. Going into the last game of the week, Sunday night football, we have the Packers and the 49ers. The Niners are favored by three and a half here as Green Bay travels to San Francisco. Sam, who do you have in this one? Um, I'm actually going with the Packers. I like uh, how they looked offensively, finally got their run game back, and Aaron Rodgers not having to force as many throws. I got the Packers winning this one. Tanner? Yeah, I mean, as Sam just talked about, I think the key right now for the Packers offense is balance. Uh, against Seattle, they or not Seattle, against New Orleans, they fell down early, forced to lean on the passing game. Aaron Rodgers forced throws, and it didn't go well. On Monday night, they were able to get Aaron Jones involved, use him as a threat, and it seemed like their big three got back in sync, that being Roger, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams. And on the 49ers side, that backfield has just been so devastated by injuries. Injury to Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., Trey Sermon, Elijah Mitchell, 
Elijah Mitchell and Jamichael Hasty, and losing Jarek McKinnon to the Chiefs in free agency. They are so depleted back there. And over the past few years, no one's really been worried about the San Francisco passing game. If we're able to stop that, which most teams can, I think the Packers uh, will be able to limit the offensive side of, of San Francisco. So I got the Packers here. Crunch time, listeners. I'm a Packers fan. I very much enjoyed what I saw last week against the Lions. I liked seeing Aaron Rodgers get back on the horse. I liked seeing Aaron Rodgers ask for some tequila after an interview with a ESPN Deportes uh, reporter afterwards. I liked seeing Aaron Jones get into the end zone four times. Going against the 49ers, who the Packers just two years ago lost to twice very badly, one in the regular season, one in the NFC Championship game. I'm okay seeing some running back injuries for the Niners after the Niners running game has torched the Packers on several occasions. Why not go with the Packers here? I'm going to take San Fran. And that's not just me hedging my bet. I think San Fran's going to get the win at home, and it's going to be because of that defense. Aaron Rodgers was able to have some time to throw in the pocket this past week against the Lions. The offensive line for Green Bay is still without David Bakhtiari. I wouldn't say that the Lions front four is very intimidating as much as they may want to bite off some kneecaps if uh, MCDC the head coach of the Lions has anything to say about it but when you go to San Francisco and you're playing the 49ers that defense is much more threatening I think they put some pressure on Aaron Rodgers until the Packers can break the streak of being one in six in their last seven games playing in the west coast region until the Packers can break that I'm going to continue to go with the trend. I'm going to pick the 49ers. That wraps it up for today. Thank you all so much for tuning into the pod. We appreciate your support. The clock has run out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.